Welcome to First Responder Friday. My name is Conrad Weaver. I'm your host for the program today, and uh, I'm the film producer and director for PTSD 911 documentary as well as the host for this show. And I'm so glad you decided to join us today, whether you're watching from Facebook or YouTube or even on Twitter on Periscope. Thank you for joining us. And if you would like to let us know where you're watching from, that would be awesome. Just uh, put it in the comments and uh, it'll show up on my screen and we can see where everybody's coming from. So, uh, and, and also if you're, if you are a first responder, let us know what your, what type of agency you work for, whether it's law enforcement or fire EMS uh, dispatch, that kind of thing. We have an amazing guest today. I'll introduce him in just a little bit, but I want to first give you some updates on the film project. I know some people were asking, Hey, when can we see this film? And well, I want to know that too. That's a great question because uh, we haven't produced it yet. So we are in the process of getting this film funded at this point. And I'm going to show you our website here. Uh, we are we're raising money. You can go to our website. You can uh, see the trailer for the film. You can see lots of information. You can see uh, our board of advisors on there who's kind of behind this thing and helping us tell the story. Got some amazing advisors. We're going to add another one here on this list here next week, I believe. So really excited about that. Um, you can also look at the folks who have endorsed our film, some great organizations, the International Critical Incident Stress Foundations, Concerns of Police Survivors, Blue Help, and many others. Nina, which is important for our conversation today. And so we're really thankful for that. We've had had tons of you who have made contributions. You've gone to our website. You've gone to our our Indiegogo page when we were live and you made a contribution. If you would like to do that, we encourage you to do that. If you believe in this project, you believe in what we're doing to tell this story, uh, go to our website, click on the make a donation button and go on our, our, our donation page, make a contribution toward our film so we can get this film produced. We can't do it without funding and we can't do it without your help and without your contributions. And for all of those of you who made a contribution to our project, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And just a little sneak peek, we've got a big announcement coming next week. I'm just going to throw it out there. Big announcement coming next week. Be sure to tune in next week on First Responder Friday for that announcement. Well, today we have an amazing guest. Ricardo Martinez is the host and creator of Within the Trenches, the podcast. And he is joining us from his studio today. I'm going to take him off mute here so he can join us. And uh, so he's he's a former dispatcher. He's uh, we were just talking about his the, the various master's degrees he got at Full Sail University, <laughs> and so he is a an, an educated podcaster and broadcaster, and now the head of Within the Trenches Media, yeah, full on media production company. And uh, trying, <laughs> I, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen him on his show here on Facebook and uh, in other places. He's also the founder of the hashtag I am 911. And that is kind of blown up going around the world. And we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. So Ricardo, welcome to First Responder Friday. Thank you very much, Conrad. It's good to be here, man. I've been waiting for it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. So I know you uh, kind of made a, a cameo appearance on our our, our uh, live show we did for our marathon day of fundraising. That yes. was exhausting, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it was like I spent all day right here. You know, it was like, okay, this is a crazy idea, right? And But we did raise some money, so we're grateful for that. So thank mm -hmm. you for showing up for that. But today I got you the whole hour. 
Yeah. And we're going to be sitting here talking about what you do. And so tell us a little bit about you. What do you do? And how'd you get to where you are today? Uh, well, I mean, currently, uh, like you said, I'm, I'm running uh, within the trenches media. I'm, uh, I'm the founder of it, the founder of the I Am 91 movement and the uh, creator and host of Within the Trenches podcast. Um, everything that I'm doing right now, I mean, you... You name it. <laughs> there's a, there's a bunch of different things, you know. I I do. Uh, I also have uh, Code Seven uh, Dispatch Apparel. So if you look in back of me right there, I've got a uh, screen printing press. I I uh, press my own uh, shirts and all merchandise, and uh, so I've got that piece. Um, I've got the Code Seven Podcast Network. All of this under uh, within the trenches media. Um, I was a nine one dispatcher. Uh, and um, call taker, dispatcher, and supervisor for uh, 13 and a half years. And then uh, um, after that time, I ended up moving off into uh, to the private side, working for a company out of uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. But uh, getting to all of that was was definitely something else. <laughs> a journey. So what got you into dispatching? What got you into that line of work? Well, um, it's funny being on this side because <laughs> I'm the I get one to ask the questions. That. You yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, that's funny. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not, it's not that big, you know, I, I just kind of fell into it. So like a lot of people actually, um, I fell into it. So I, I'm born and raised out of, uh, Southwest Michigan and I ended up, I was 18 going on 19. I think it was, I ended up, um, going to Florida to visit my family for a little while. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that was going on in Michigan. Uh, there weren't a lot of jobs. So I wanted to uh, try uh, something new, you know, get a fresh start, but go there to visit family uh, just for those couple of weeks and just try to get an idea of what I wanted to do. Um, those couple of weeks turned into about a month. And my mom asked if uh, I thought I should get a job. <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, probably. So, you know, up until that point, all I had was um, retail management experience. Hmm. Um, so that's what I was looking for. I was looking all over the place uh, in Florida. I was Polk County and uh, I could not find a management job. Hmm. Everything was at the bottom working up. And, uh, you know, I, I knew my experience and everything. And I was willing to do it, but I was looking for a management position first and just couldn't find anything. And my mom ended up uh, saying, you know, your, your cousin's uh, husband knows the chief of police. Maybe they can, you know, help you get in there. And I thought, well, I don't know anything about 911. You know, I, I know they take phone calls and stuff, but I don't know anything else. Um, uh, up until that point, all I had was, you know, rescue 911 with, with Shatner. One of my favorite shows. So I thought, okay, you know, why not? So I, I went, I applied, um, I ended up getting an interview. And after a couple months was when I ended up getting the job. Now, I I didn't think I had done well. I mean, in the beginning, I thought I did good with the interview, but then it took a couple months and I thought, oh man, I must have really messed up because you don't hear from them and you think, oh, wow, you know, they threw my resume out the window. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, nope, we don't want you, man. <laughs> but, um, you know, one day my my grandmother comes uh, into the room. I, I was napping 
and she comes into the room that I'm in and she's freaking out and she she wakes me up and she's telling me uh, in Spanish because she didn't really speak any uh, English, but she's telling me in Spanish that, that the police are here, that the police are here. And then, of course, you know, she goes, what did you do? And I said, what? what? <laughs> like, I didn't do anything. At least I don't think I did. And so she goes, well, you need to go see what's going on. You need to go and talk to them. And I, I said, OK, so I'm kind of freaking out myself, you know. And uh, I, I go out front and it's the chief of police. And uh, he says, hey, I, I just I just came by to see how you were doing for one and, and two to see if you still wanted the job. And uh, I was I was blown away. I, I remember standing there with Chief Bird and I just thought I, I, I actually got the job. And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, it's been so long. I didn't think that it was going to go anywhere. And. He says, we just have a lengthy background process. And I thought, oh, okay. So, you know, usually when you start a new job, you know, it's the next week or something. Um, not this, not in this case, because that's what I was thinking as well. Mm -hmm. And and I mentioned that to him and he goes, no, you start tonight. And I said, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. And I, I said, what, what time? And he goes, you're going to work our midnight shift. It's uh, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. And I said, okay. So <laughs> he, he left. I'm excited and nervous. Um, I think I ended up taking a nap again because <laughs> I was going to be working I work all night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So then um, I, I end up going in that, that night and I meet my, my trainer. He was, he had to have been in his early to mid seventies, um, a seasoned dispatcher. And uh, he he was awesome. And uh, but, you know, he shows me everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And I sit down and I'm observing him and he takes a 911 call. And then he, after he's done, he turns around and looks at me and he goes, OK, you're next. <laughs> what? Wow. <laughs> after observing one call. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wow. That was my. That was your training. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and I, I remember saying, you know, something like, "You're joking, right?" And and he just stone look in his face, and he's like, "No, I'm not. It's your next. The only way you're gonna learn is by doing this." Hmm. And I said, "But there's nothing else, man. Like, there's not. There, there's nothing else." And he goes, "There, there will be." So <laughs> it was about a week or so later that I did take a forty-hour beginners. Um, you know, dispatcher's course. But that first night, man, that first call that I took, from what I remember, it wasn't anything. I think it was just like a, it was a hang up or something, but it, it wasn't anything. Or no, it was a misdial. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, that first that first night was something else. That was my intro into dispatch. Wow. So so how long did you do that? Um, from when I was in Florida, it was about three and a half, four years that I was there, that I was working. Um, it was a small police department. Uh, the city, people probably don't even know, um, but the, the city name is Frostproof. <laughs> that was, you know, it was on the news just recently. There was like you know, some criminal was. case there that they were looking for these guys that had killed somebody. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Frostproof. Yeah. Frostproof in Polk County. That's, that's where I started out. The police department is not there anymore. Um, a little bit after I uh, moved back home to Southwest Michigan, um, it ended up getting um, consolidated there with the county. So it got swallowed up <laughs> and it's not there anymore. But I'll tell you what, man, whenever, 
whenever I go back to visit family in that area, I always go to the little plot of land of where the building used to be. I don't know why, but I, I always have to go. I, I just go and I'll, I'll just stand there and just kind of reflect because that's where it all began. That's where it all started. That's where. So in those early years when you were just, you know, fresh out of high school mm -hmm. and, and, you know, barely in your, I'm, I'm assuming barely in your twenties, you know, what kind of calls did you get? Did you get some calls that were just like, Ugh, that still stick with you today? Yes, for sure. So that, that time there, um, and you know, I, I'd never dealt with anything like that before, you know, 19 going on to 20 and, uh, I'm dealing with different calls that are coming in, but because it was a small, uh, city and, and small police department, I, I think we only had like 12, maybe 12 sworn officers, hmm. but, and that's including, you know, Sergeant Lieutenant and, and the chief. Uh, so it was pretty small. The call volume wasn't, wasn't that big. Um, there were not a lot of calls that I took that were, um, I would say just, you know, very high, uh, emergencies, you know, but the day that I ended up, um, going on my own it was my last, last day of training, first day going on my own. Um, the chief is getting ready to leave and he goes, are you sure you're going to be able to, to do this? And I said, yeah, man, I don't worry about it. I got you. It's we're fine. We're good. And uh, I think he was more worried than I was. And, and he was making me a little nervous too. But I told him, I, I said, you're always listening to the radio. If anything, you'll hear something and you'll come over here, right? And he goes, yeah, probably. And I said, okay, but you don't have anything to worry about. So he's getting ready to leave. And when he goes to leave, we hear a car screech up. Now, this police department, when you when you come up, you would open the door and walk into this little lobby area. And then right over is is dispatch. There's all of us right there. Just a little uh, glass that you can reach under or over if you needed something. Um, but that's all it was. We had one holding cell there. Um, so this car screeches up, door opens, and we hear a lady screaming. And... Uh, I remember my ears and everything just um, perked up and all. And I'm standing there, the door whips open and the lady runs in and, and she's yelling, I found him, I found him, I found him. And and the chief kind of grabs her, you know, by the arms and, and is like, what's going on? What's going on? Now, it's a small city. So he knew her, like everybody knew each other. Mm -hmm. And she goes, I, I found him. So this is the first call the first call that I had that really sticks with me, sticks with me till today. And the thing was, though, is that the first one that I thought was going to be like this was going to be over the phone. It's face to face. Wow. We're right there. Mm -hmm. And she says uh, what had happened was her and her husband were separated. They were trying to figure out whether they were going to continue their marriage or not. And she decided that day, yes. I, I want to continue our marriage. We've got kids. So I want to continue this marriage. So she goes back to their home to tell him that, uh, that that's what she wants to do. And she found that he had hung himself mm. there at the house. Mm. So the, the chief goes out there as well as the officer who's on duty. And I'm left there with, mm. with the person, with my 
caller, <laughs> but face to face, we're right there. So what do you do? You know, you, you, you be human, you go and, and you talk to the person. So I go into the lobby area with her and, you know, I ask her if there's anyone that she needs, um, that she wants me to call and she wanted family. So I called her family. They came, they were with her for a little bit and then they all left. And then it's just me there and just letting it all sink in. And the chief and the officer comes back. The officer ends up having, uh, he's got the letter. He's got the suicidal note. Now I knew exactly what had happened. Right. But for some reason, like I just, why, you know, how did this person get to that, that point? So I kept trying to kind of peek over at the, uh, at the note. And then the officer looks at me and he goes, do you want to read it? And I said, yeah. I said, I don't know why, man, this is like really hitting me. I just, I, I've, yeah, let me, let me read it. So I read it and, and basically what it said was that um, he couldn't be without her or their kids together as a family, that he really wanted them to work out, that he loved her so much and just really wished that it would have worked out. And I, I, every time I think about that, and at that moment, like I can see myself back there, I remember thinking, man, if you would have just waited just a little bit longer, hmm. she wanted the same thing. And that, that sticks with me. Hmm. Wow. That, so that was kind of the, the start of your career in, in dispatch. And, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you, you had hundreds or even thousands of other calls that, you know, stuck as well as the, as that one did. How did that overall, over the course of your years, you were what, in it, what, what, 13 years or so? Yeah, 13 and a half years. Yeah, 13 and a half exactly. years. How overall, what, what was that impact on you just mentally? Um, I mean, what happened to you? What, what, was, what, what was going on in your brain over those years? <laughs> you know, um, a lot of it was, so I'll say this. I, I was one of the dispatchers who um, I would bury those calls, hmm. you know, and I really didn't have someone to uh to talk to about it and also you know years back and it's probably like that in some places as well you know if you're reaching out for help i mean i'm not saying it wasn't heard of but not a lot of people did because nobody wanted to look weak hmm. which in time i myself learned that's not the way to think about it you know you're more courageous for asking for help um because and, and it's a hard thing to do. But for me, I found it therapeutic. Throughout the years, I found it therapeutic to talk about it, to write it down, and and just get it out there. Um, that's how it ended up working for me. I, I found out um, the hard way <laughs> because I I've, I had them buried, you know, in the beginning. But once I started talking about it and talking about it and talking about it, it became easier because that was the first step was talking about it, you know, kind of, you know, confronting your demon, so to speak. Um, the demons being those calls that haunt us sometimes, but to be able to talk to them uh, or talk about them, rather, you can manage whatever ends up coming from that. Um, and honestly, there are still some times where there'll be, you know, a trigger here or there on something, but it's also something that I've talked about before and I'm, I'm able to, um, you know, take it from there. So 
over those years and also going back to school and doing a bunch of different projects that include 911 and trying to uh, turn it into a public education type thing mm-hmm. um, so that more people understand, you know, if if I'm calling 911 and they're putting me on hold, there's got to be a reason. Mm-hmm. There's there's a reason. And, and that's what I wanted to put out there to people, um, because I would always get that question. What's your what's your worst call? What's your best call? What's this and that? And uh, I just, you know realize that people have no idea. So it was an opportunity for me now, 10 years ago, to to start doing that, to turn it into public education. Mm-hmm. What, I mean, in those early years, who did you talk to? You said you were, you just started sharing what, who did you talk to? Other work, other, you know, fellow workers or, or who was that, that audience for you? Um, so it was more, you know, friends and family uh, in, in the beginning. And it was mostly because, so, you know, in every profession, you have to have some sort of dark sense of humor, right? <laughs> because if not, you're going to spend more time crying than you are laughing mm-hmm. and, and you're, <laughs> you're going to burn out. So, you know, family or, or friends would ask, you know, how's how's everything going, you know, in dispatch? And I would say, uh, you know, it's been all right. It's been kind of slow. And then uh, they would say, oh, well, I mean, doesn't that mean that uh, everything is OK in the world? Like, do you? You don't want people to be hurt, right? I'm like, no, no, hell no. I don't want people to be hurt. But it's my job to help those people if they're in trouble. So I want to help people. That's why I say it's been slow. Like there's nothing going on. I want to be helping people and sending help out there or making sure that everyone who's out in the field ends up, you know, going home safe. So it was it was a lot of that, you know, talking to people about it. And again, that curiosity was there. So one, I was going to take the opportunity to educate. And two, it was going to help me because it was therapeutic for me to talk about it. Did you ever, and I don't know this, the answer to this, did you ever like go seek professional help and see a counselor or anything like that? You know, there was actually one time that um, I got a chance to speak to a counselor and it was myself and actually two other people. We had a sergeant um, that had uh, passed away. And, well, actually, there was, now that I think about it, there was two. So the sergeant that passed away, we had someone uh, come in who actually came from public safety. He was a dispatcher and call taker as well uh, as supervisor. And it was a lot easier. Like, he knew what we were dealing with where we come from. But when a, a different incident happened and we spoke to this counselor, um, I'm sure that he was, he's awesome at his job, but it was different because he doesn't come from public safety. So when we ended up mentioning what was going on, the first thing that he came back with was, well, how does that make you feel? And we thought, uh, okay, <laughs> we'll talk to you later. <laughs> So it was it was it was different. So um, that was really the only time with a counselor um, for me. Um, I just kept doing what I was doing in uh, writing about it, talking about it, sharing stories, that power of storytelling. Um, it really it really does a lot. Mm-hmm. What would you say? I mean, you know, over the years, they've, it's getting a little bit better some places, not everywhere, but 
but oftentimes dispatchers are viewed as just uh, as secretaries or just you know that kind of thing what would you say what would you say to the general public to help them understand what a dispatcher's job really involves mm -hmm. so you know I, i've had a few people ask me you know how what is it like or what is it you know give me a scenario so let me give you a scenario this this might work out with with what you're saying so and and this happened once <laughs> to me <laughs> and i'm sure it's happened to a bunch of people in in different ways but you know think about being on the phone your call taking and you've got these three calls that come in one right after the other the first one um you've got a personal injury accident you've got the information fire and ems and everyone is headed out there the next call comes in and it's a domestic husband and wife it's verbal at the moment but it's also in progress you've got people heading out there but it's so busy another call that's coming in that's been ringing you need to check it you know that they're okay they're separated the the first call has help going out to it so you pick up this third call you put the the ones on hold pick up the third call now you're on a medical you're on a medical with CPR. So you've got these three that you're doing. You're giving instructions. Now it's at a point, they're doing pumps and breaths over and over and over and over. And that's what they're doing as EMS is going out there. So for just a second, you can put them on hold and check on that domestic. Well, now with that domestic, there's a weapon involved. Hmm. So which one do you stay with? Who do you go back to? you stay with the one that has the weapon. You've got officers that are headed out there, but you you got to keep going with what's going on in progress because the CPR call, they're doing textbook CPR. EMS mm -hmm. is already almost there and you, you got to stick on that one. So I've given that scenario to people and I've said, which one do you stay with? And they say, oh, I don't know. Well, it's mm -hmm. in that split second that you have to think you have to triage on who you're going to stay with. Now, I don't know any administrative assistants who have to do that. Um, and this is and this is no disrespect or anything. I, I know their their jobs are, are hard as well. But in comparison, when when you're thinking about you know reclassification and, and how the OMB has everything set up, um, and you can ask anybody. That's that's why I give that scenario because that alone. Um, shows you right there. The job is different. Very, yeah. very intense. Yeah, I know a lot of people in the 911 dispatch community were really you know, excited that the state of California is about to sign legislation to make that change, that mm -hmm. change from a, a secretary or whatever to uh, a first responder. And I think that's important, I, I guess. Uh, do you know how many states have, have ratified something like that? You know, there are... There are several, you know, Indiana's in there, uh, Texas, I believe was the first, I think Idaho is in there as well, or, you know, California's coming on. Um, there are, there's several, I, I don't have an exact number, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of them and they're going statewide um, right now until, you know, hopefully the uh, 91 Saves Act uh, gets passed, but. Right, right. So they, tell me a little bit about what. West Virginia too. What motivated you to, I mean, where'd the hashtag come from? The. Uh, I'm going to put it up on the screen so people mm -hmm. can see it. 
So, so where did that that movement start? How did that start? How did that you know, where did it come from? So, this all goes into the uh, the the entire reclassification issue. So, this is back in uh, August of 2016. Um, there were two big organizations that were um, that were fighting for um, all you know nylon dispatchers to be able to get this um, classification change from uh, clerical to protective. Now, during that time, um, you know, I had been watching both sides on uh, social media, and I, I noticed that there wasn't there were there wasn't a lot of awareness, I guess. Like, like they were both doing their things and, and doing it well, but I wanted to kind of give it a shock, <laughs> so to speak. I, I wanted to jumpstart it. And, uh, but, but I wanted to do it, you know, almost dispatch style, you know, kind of in your face. I wanted people to understand the difference between the clerical workers and the clerical class and the protective class and protective services, you know, the, and so I wanted to, I wanted to put it out there, um, in just little stories, little mini stories. Again, that power of storytelling can go far. And I started it out and it was, uh, August 24th, 2016. And I had posted something while I'm sitting at my in-laws dinner table. <laughs> I had designed it up really quick and it was just a meme with a full moon. Cause we all know when the full moon hits, there's a lot of stuff that happens. Yeah. Um, but on it, I put some wording on there and it said, I heard your last breath the night you flipped your four wheeler. And then underneath I hashtagged it. I am nine one one. And I posted it to the podcast page and I had, I had put out there to everyone why I was doing it and that I wanted others to do the same thing just to raise awareness by sharing just a little glimpse into one of our stories, hmm. something that has stuck with us. Um, a lot of them ended up being ones that were haunting hmm. and from the time that I had posted it, uh, there was about 10 minutes in between of, of what I'm going to tell you here. I had left from my in-laws to my mom's house uh, to go and visit her. And my phone just started blowing up and messages were coming in. And it was enough to where um, the notifications weren't coming in anymore because they were just stacking, 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 stacking. And I remember my son saying, what did you do? And I said, I think I struck a chord. <laughs> and people were sharing stories like crazy. And what started out as a reclassification issue quickly turned into peer support because a lot of the messages that were coming in along with the stories were dispatchers and call takers saying, thank you for doing this. I've been holding on to, because all the stories are anonymous. And they said, I've been holding on to this for so long. I finally, I have an outlet to put that out there. So we were taking stories, taking them and taking them and putting them out there. And, and that's how it all started, but it, it quickly turned into uh, peer support and it just, it exploded. And even today in 2020, we're sharing stories all the time. We still have stories in the inbox from September of 2016, because that's how many came in. Wow. Wow. And these, and this was a part of the, the, of the podcast, the show that you were already, you know, already doing. Right. Yeah. So I, I started, uh, within the trenches back in, 
think it was 2012 going right into 2013. The original concept, however, started 10 years ago. This year, this is 10 years from the original concept. It was a college project. Um, it was for my, my bachelor's of graphic design. And we had to do a digital storytelling project. And we had to add music, a story, and either still pictures or animation. I went with still pictures. I'd been playing around with the idea already um, about sharing dispatch stories. And that's what I went with. I got two of my coworkers and uh, they shared their stories. How they got on, uh, how they got into dispatching their uh, worst call and then their best call, and why they do what they do, and that is where it all started was ten years ago. But the podcast itself is about seven years old, and I've been doing that, sharing stories. Um, there's about three hundred forty-five episodes out there now, but I had been doing all of this, and then in 2016, founded the I Am Nine One Movement. And the reason I, I also had put it that way as well, um, and the wording, as I had mentioned in the uh, in the meme, is because it's like another form of communication. I'm never going to meet the people that I spoke to. It's very rare that I would, but it's it's almost like if they were to see it, it's me reaching out to them, saying, "I was the one who took that call, and I was there with you the entire time." we were there together you weren't alone mm -hmm. wow that so i'm so in, in your show your, your your podcast you you talk to other dispatchers and i know you have a have, have several varieties of that podcast uh kind of talk through that and what you guys talk about is it is it therapeutic not only for you but for those who come on your show yeah it is it has been very therapeutic a lot of people who have been on the uh I call it the flagship show uh, within the trenches, the original <laughs> um, that, uh, you know, the original lot of the network that I have now, a lot of people have come on and, you know, we're basically doing it like this. You know, I tell them or I ask them how they got into it um, and, and talk about some of their calls. You know, some of them have done, uh, you know, presentations or they're doing uh, public education or other things. And we talk about that as well. But every single episode is about them. It's about their story because these are they're the most vital piece of public safety. They're the stories that people were not hearing about. Mm. And I wanted to put that out there and uh, for those to understand that 9 dispatchers and call takers aren't drones. They're, they're not just answering the phone. There is so much more to it that even though they sound focused and calm, cool, and collected in the back of their minds, and because this is how I was as well, I'm freaking out right there with you. I am, you know, we're, we're empaths. I'm put myself in your shoes to an extent so I can understand also what is going on to better respond to not only you on the phone, but for everyone in the room and those who are going out uh, to that emergency. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's where all of that, you know, stems from the, um, the rest, all the, the spawns from, <laughs> from within the trenches, um, with I Am 9-1 Movement, all of these stories that had come out, what I wanted to do was to be able to share them to a bigger audience through the podcast. So I created, uh, it's called Imagine Listening. And it started in 2017 at a conference in Indiana. And it was a live audience episode. It's an hour long. There's two parts. The first 30 minutes is Imagine Listening. Uh, the tagline is, your worst day is our everyday. And... I give dispatchers and call takers the chance to share 
their personal I am 911 stories. They can say it out loud or they can uh, write it down and I'll read it for them. And this is a recorded episode. Mm -hmm. And I can't describe how powerful it is to be in there. I mean, there are people who are just letting go, sharing these stories. There's others that are crying. And, but it's awesome because we're there healing and gaining closure together, supporting each other. And then the last 30 minutes is open mic, where we share all of the funny and hilarious that it can be 911. So we start out emotionally intense mm -hmm. and then we jump into something lighthearted and funny so that we can all laugh together and again heal from it. I mean, laughing is good medicine. Yeah. Wow. So uh just for for our audience sake, what's one of the funny stories that sticks with you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are there are many. Um <laughs> I remember um I remember one where I actually got uh, a letter from um, from one of the troopers who went out on this this one specific call. I uh, gave it to my director, and uh, the director sent it to me and just said, "Good job." And I said, "What? Good job for what? What? What did I do?" And uh, at first, I thought she was joking. <laughs> I was like, "What? Are you playing around with me?" And she goes, "No, no, no, no. Very good job. You know, check this out." And uh, it was, you know. Uh, it was a letter that was sent to her from the trooper that went out there, but it, this was a, a night shift. I worked midnight shift all the time, mm -hmm. except for a small stint. Um, I was on mornings, but all of it was midnight shift. And I had a gentleman call in who was uh, intoxicated, very intoxicated. And I, just, I remember he kept yelling at me and calling me dispatcher. And he, he, he just kept saying, dispatcher, you need to get an officer out here and give me a breathalyzer test. And I said, what? And uh, okay, well, well, why? And he goes, I just, I just need him to come over here and, and do that. And I said, sir, what, okay, what is going on? You know, I had already gotten his, you know, pertinent information and I was at the very least going to send somebody out there to check his welfare because I'm thinking what is going on? And, uh, he ends up telling me that he's at this one of the bars there in the county, which in the county, it's at the very southern end of the county. Mm. And I'm looking at his address and he's at the very northern part of the county. And I thought, hmm, did he drive himself home? <laughs> so I hadn't gotten to that question yet because I'm, I'm waiting to hear what the issue is. So he's telling me that he was at this bar and he had spent a lot of money on alcohol there and they kicked him out hmm. because he was very intoxicated and i said okay well so what does the breathalyzer thing have to do with any of that he goes i just want to make a point i just want to prove to the bar that i wasn't as drunk as they thought i was and i said sir i i don't believe an officer is going to go out there i can have someone call you so he ends up calling four or five times and at this point, it's turning into uh, abuse of 911. Mm -hmm. And a, a trooper had called already and said he wasn't going to go out there. So the guy calls again. He's like, dispatcher. And for whatever reason, I was the one who got it every time. I had a partner with me on phones, but I just happened to be the one to pick it up. So it's like the dispatch gods were like, you're going to deal with this. He's going to be yours. Um, so he calls one last time. And so I put him on hold and I get uh, the trooper 
uh, on the on the radio on a secondary channel. And I said, dude, this this guy is on again. And he goes, all right. He goes, I'll we'll be in route over there to to pick him up for uh, for something uh, for abuse of nine one one. And I was like, all right, I'll let him know that you're headed over there. So I get back on the phone with the guy and he goes, dispatcher, because I've been on hold. I was like, I, I'm sorry, sir. I apologize. I was talking to the trooper and, uh, you know, is he going to do his job? Is he going to do his job, dispatcher like you? And <laughs> I said, you know what, sir? You're right. I apologize. I'm here to help. An officer is going to go out there and meet with you and, and, and talk to you. And he goes, it's about time. And you know what? Let him know. I don't mess around. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so he slams the phone down. I get on the radio with the trooper and uh, I tell him that. And he he just kind of chuckles and he's like, all right, I'll keep that in mind. And uh, they get out there. It's not even five minutes that they've checked out there and they key up on the radio and say, we got one in custody. Now, <laughs> now when before he slammed the phone on me, though, I did ask him. I said, so you were at a bar at the most Southern part of the County and you live in the Northern part. Did you drive home by yourself? And then there was silence and he goes, that's not the point here. The point <laughs> is that I got kicked out and I spent a lot of money and I want to prove something. And I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so for all of that, I ended up getting a, a good letter from the troopers saying that he listened to the tape and that I held it together really well that he would not have been able to do the same. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, you know, I know in talking with, with dispatchers from around the country, you know, there's so many stories, you know, like that. And then there's so many stories of just really heartbreak and, mm -hmm. and things that uh, really affect you guys as dispatchers and as call takers. Um, what do you think is important for a, a dispatch agency to do in order to take care of their people properly? You know, it, it definitely starts at the top. I say it all the time. Um, it's, it starts at the top and it, it makes us feel more comfortable as well when those at the top are, um, you know, really involved uh, to a point, of course, but, you know, in, involved where they're, you know, really kind of paying attention to some of the things that are going on. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, civil unrest and everything that's going on. And, you know, the amount of calls that are probably coming in and uh, the types of incidents, those at the top are, are really paying attention to that. They're able to, you know, figure out some way to, um, you know, continue that mental health and wellness. You know, that that is one of the, the biggest things. You know, when I do these, um, the Imagine Listening sessions, they're very therapeutic. And, and people have, have told me that they feel so much better after they, they leave from there. And there have been a few times where I, <laughs> I know some of the directors are in there. And right before we leave, I will, I will stop everyone and say, for those of you who are directors in here, you see that your, your, your people have been, um, have been hurting, like they've been holding this stuff in. What is the next step? Like, what are you going to do from here now that you've seen this to continue the, that growth, that, uh, um, the mental health and wellness 
so that we can nurture that and and continue going from there. I mean, training, you know, is is amazing. You know, peer support. There are a lot of organizations out there doing, um, you know, peer support sessions, creating teams. Uh, you know, you were talking about Nina earlier. They've got a uh, wellness group, and their their co chairs are actually going to be um, doing a, a session on peer support and such uh, next week at the Dare to Be Great uh, two conference. But things like that, you know, that can continue to nurture the dispatchers and call takers, and also to to let them know that it's okay not to be okay, that it's okay to to talk about this, that, you know, we're we're trying to, you know, as as I seen you put it and, and a lot of others, smash that stigma. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I wish I had a lot of this when when I was in dispatch, but I feel like I went through what I went through to also grow, you know, as a person and for everything that I'm doing now. What would you say to that that dispatcher who's kind of in <clears throat> excuse me in the trenches and their supervisors, their higher ups are just oblivious to this or don't or even maybe uh, against any kind of you know or, or or just just don't care, just don't care for them. What what should they do? What what's the first step? A lot of research, you know, research online. Go to um, you know different pages on social media and stuff um, because there's there's a lot of resources out there. There are many resources out there, way more than there was when when I was starting out uh, dispatching. But now, you know, from the time that uh, um, the whole reclassification issue started, the IM91 movement, all of this started. So much more is available. And there are even more people who are ready and willing to talk to you about it than there were before, because before it was just, all right, well, continue to move on. And in some cases, you know, when you're taking phone calls and, and, and that's what you have to do, that's what you have to do. But when you get that moment, step back, reflect and work through it because we need you. We, we need all of you to be here. So for that one person who might be out there who's dealing with supervisors or directors or whichever who just don't want to do that at all. There are a lot of us out here and we see you and we hear you and we will help you in any way possible because we've also been there. Hmm. So I know you're not, you know, active in, you know, as a, as a call taker, as a, as a, uh, as a dispatcher now, but you're connected to all these, these folks. What's the future of 911? And, and you know, in, in technology and in the world, what's what's that future look like? Man, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it is very um, you know it continues to grow every day. You know the technology um, aspect of it is blowing up. You look all over the place, and there is new technology for nine one one, which is amazing. It is it is really good. There's a lot more than there was before, and, and just and GPS it's, itself it is, is a huge asset. I know. Just, right. I, I mean, to interrupt, but just a few months ago, my wife and I were in Florida, and we we witnessed an accident on the on the interstate, and there was a, a motorcycle accident that guy bodies flying right in front of us, and my wife, you know, I jumped out of the car to help, and my wife called nine one one, and with the with the call takers' help, they figured out where they were. The call taker said, "Well, I can get your coordinates from your cell phone," you know. So that technology is really amazing that wasn't available, you know, 
just a few short years ago. Right. Yeah. See, and, and that, that, oh, so good. Because when I was in dispatch, I mean, we had coordinates as well, but they weren't that great, man. They, <laughs> they were, you know, it would show, um, it would, it would pinpoint at a spot, but then there was like almost a 12 mile radius of where you could be. So unless, unless people are being, you know, very, you know, self-aware of what's not only what's going on, but, you know, also everything around you, landmarks, anything, you know, you, it would be hard to find somebody, but now definitely better. Um, with, with bringing in all this new technology and stuff, you know, video to nine on one pictures, all this other stuff though, one of the things to really think about as well. Uh, and, and this was something that I, I had put out to, you know, the company that I, that I was working for before I went, um, on my own. Um, cause you know, we were, uh, pushing out text to nine one one. And one of the big things was, you know, already talking about, um, you know, video and pictures, especially pictures. And I would say, you know, we really need to talk to the directors and those who are going to be taking these to figure out how they want to receive it. Because now it's not just hearing everything and, and piecing it in your minds. I mean, my imagination was probably 10 times worse than what was actually going on there on the scene, because I'm trying to piece everything. I've got screams. I've got all this other stuff going on. I have to piece it together. So that those who are going out to the road or from the road to, you know, the, the call, they know what they're getting into. Mm. Um, but now, now you're going to be watching it. Mm. So there's even more of the mental health and wellness aspect that we got to think about. That's why it's so important for leaders to now begin really working to ramp up their training and teaching on, on this subject. And, and I know you're doing some of that just with uh, your your conferences. Tell, talk us through that. What are you doing? Where, where did that start? And what's what's going on with the upcoming conference next week? So the the conference is called uh, Dare to Be Great, and it it was this past April, um, the last week of April, that uh, was the first uh, the first conference, and what it came from was what we're all dealing with. The pandemic, COVID-19, you know, all of these different um, training sessions, conferences, everything was either getting postponed or canceled and then eventually just completely canceled. And as I said before, you know, uh, training, training sessions, all types of things like that, they're, they're needed. And I wanted to try to do something um, to bring that and also to, to make it free for those to attend. And that anybody could uh, attend, not not just those who are in public safety, but anyone, because a lot of people in, um, you know, that are dispatchers and call takers, their family, they don't understand what it is that they do. So it's open to everyone where you can have your family also register and sit in on a couple of sessions to learn about 911 and what dispatchers and call takers go through, what they're learning and and really get an understanding about what it is that they're going through. Um, especially some of those that talk about PTSD, some of the you know calls that people have taken where they were at a very low and ended up coming back and at a very high, you know, cause they're resilient like that. Um, also those who are looking into getting into public safety, into dispatching, they can register as well. So 
in about two and a half weeks, <laughs> my uh, my crew and I, uh, we ended up, we put together this conference. And for the first one, um, I think it's just under 7,000 attendees. Wow. Ended up, uh, and that was crazy. worldwide as well. Yes, that was very crazy <laughs> for the first one. Now, when it, when it first um, started out, when it was getting to um, conference time for it to go live, there was only about, you know, a, a thousand, fifteen hundred, I think is actually what it was. And then it went in, it rolled over to 2000 because a lot of people were coming in at the last second. But from that time in April to even today, people have been registering. That's how it's gotten that high. Um, so with this one, the second one, um, this is the fall, Dare to be Great Fall Virtual Conference. Um, there are now even more speakers still free. Uh, registration for everyone. There's also sponsors and you're able to sign up, whether it be now, during next week, Tuesday through Friday, or way after. They're going to be available and you're going to be able to um, register here. You can, you know, like I said, registers for free. You've got all the information on there. There's about 37 sessions. Wow. This is uh, towards frontline dispatchers, call takers, but also coming from the technology side in training and mental health and wellness. So it's going to be a big thing and I'm, I'm excited for it. It's, it's going to be next week. That's Just pretty awesome. Where away. can people go to register? Where is it within the trenches.net? Yes. That's within the trenches.net uh, slash conference. If you go okay. there, um, all the information will be there. Keynote speakers, sponsors, agenda, everything is on there as well as of course the registration so right. it's all there awesome i'm gonna put that up put that up on the screen there so people can go there to register so i know uh the, for the first one i was able to jump in on a few sessions and just the things i heard was was pretty amazing i remember there was one session talking about 9 11 and mm -hmm. uh, and the things that went on there and also I, well and I, actually the one that was really heard was uh about the murrah federal building in in oklahoma city Yes, uh, some of the call takers there for that, and some of the sounds that they heard, you know, in, in that call. So it was pretty, pretty gripping. And, yeah, that that is a uh, that's a session put on by uh, Tony Harrison of the Public Safety Group. He does an excellent job. That that audio in the beginning, when you hear that explosion, that is chilling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, who are some of the other speakers that we can people can expect next week? Uh, yeah, so we've got um, our, our, our main keynote speakers. Um, it's going to kick it off with uh, Karima Holmes. Uh, she's the director out of um, DC 911, the offices of uh, Unified Communications. Excellent, excellent speaker. Uh, the next one, all of them are amazing speakers. Um, we've got uh, Tyrell Morris, who is out of uh, New Orleans. He is going to be on as well. He'll be uh, on day two and then excuse me, day three will end up being uh, Jameson PV House. And so those are the three main speakers. And it is, it's going to be amazing. Like I said, I'm excited. And the, the speakers are ready to go. And if you go into the platform where uh, after you register and you go into that platform, there are already people who are putting up messages saying hello from, you know, wherever they're saying hello from. So I think that's one of the best things is that even though this is virtual and there are tons of people in the chat area, the interaction is all real time. And a lot of people have said, even though there's a lot of us here, I felt like the speaker was 
talking just to me. And, but then they're also all talking to each other, asking questions, networking, and that's what it's all about. So it's been good. And, and so here's the, here's the question that I have. How do you do it for free? Um, well, I, I pay for that part. <laughs> <laughs> I pay for that part of it. Um, but, uh, I have it going through, um, patrons. So I, I've got a, a service called Patreon and I have patrons who um, assist with that. So even though I pay for it, their support in that sense is what ends up going towards it to pay for the platform. Um, and, you know, there's there's sponsors that come on. The first one, there were no sponsors at all. It was, it was just me um, putting it on. So the sponsors now, um, it's really a lot, you know, also for their exposure and their support to 911 dispatchers and call takers to um, show them the new technology and everything that's coming out, but also for those who are uh, trainers and those for you know mental health and wellness that they're there for them too. So they've got all of this education that's coming and that's people are able to register for free. So it all works out. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. I think that's that uh, just shows you know to your passion and your heart for for helping first responders, helping you know dispatchers and call takers to be healthy. And I think that speaks volumes. And, you know, I've, you know, in, in the course of working on this documentary and doing the research, I've really come to the realization that when I pick up the phone and call 911, I really hope and pray that call taker is healthy, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what makes better communities, what makes safer communities. And, uh, and then when those responders come to my emergency, you know, I, I hope they're healthy as well. And, and that's really, I think, you know, our goal with this movie project is to is to move everyone, move that needle toward better health for all of our first responders. And I think that with all of us working together like this, I think we can we can accomplish that. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of effort. Right. And it's, and it's going to take some people to uh, it's going to take some people to shut up. <laughs> you know, right. yeah. I've, there's there's more than one person that i've had to mute from our site because you know they're they're and you can tell they're responding and reacting from their own personal pain mm. you know and they're saying negative things oh they don't if they're you know if they're having ptsd they don't need to be in that job you know things like that and i'm like yeah you're suffering you know it's pretty evident you know, right. And so, uh, but there's so many more voices out there like yours who are voices of hope and help. And, and, you know, I'm that, that gives me hope. It gives me hope for all of our first responders, including dispatchers and call takers. And, and, um, so I want to say just for me as a civilian, thank you for what you're doing and for, thank you. for the services that. that you're offering and, and for the work that you're doing, um, each and every day. Uh, so tell me a little bit about, uh, you went from a full-time job getting a paycheck to now you're on your own. Uh, how's that process been? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, um, you can't see them that much, but you know, I usually have like big bags under my eyes <laughs> and it's mostly only because I sent the makeup um, guy today to help you out. No. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that, maybe that's who was at the door and I didn't open it. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's it's been it's been pretty crazy, but it's been fun. So when when I when I left dispatch, 
and, and it was the hardest thing for me to do. I mean, it, it took me a little bit before I said, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do this because I, I loved the job. I still do. And I miss it, man. I do miss it. Um, but I knew that, that by leaving, I was going to be able to do hopefully, and, and at the time, this is what I was thinking, hopefully I would be able to continue um, doing more and raising awareness to what, you know, 911 dispatchers uh, go through on a daily basis when they're taking phone calls and, and continue doing the podcast. <clears throat> Excuse me, because the company that I was working for, that's how they found me. Hmm. They found me through the podcast. Wow. And they ended up plucking me out of dispatch because I have the the technical background as well as the 911 background. And this is a 911 solutions company here in Indiana. And so I was going to be able to help them um, from, from a dispatcher's perspective and mm -hmm. on, on 911 and to help them with a lot of different things that they were doing. So I came in as a trainer and then um, ended up moving up and doing marketing because they they didn't know I could do all the stuff that I was able to do. So I, I ended up moving up. Now, um, they had been supporting me all that time with the podcast. So I would go to a conference, I would do work stuff, but on the side, I was also doing uh, podcast stuff at the same conference, sharing stories and, uh, and, and getting it out there. And then, you know, this past, uh, I think it was May going into June, um, I'd been, I've been talking to the vice president of the company and he goes, you know, I wanted to talk to you about your conference. And I thought, Oh, am I in trouble? Should I not have done that or what? <laughs> and he was just, he was really impressed with, uh, with what I had been doing and stuff. And so I ended up telling him. Lost your video that, there. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> I've got my, got my camera on. Everything is on. So, well, I mean, I can you still can hear still you. hear me, right? <laughs> yeah, I can still hear you. <laughs> All right. Ricardo well, is with um, us, really. <laughs> yeah, let me see. Let me try to, let me turn this off and then turn it back on. Because it's, the camera's on. There it is. Oh, there you are. There you are. All right. There you are. I'm back. Okay. After what happened. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, um, they were impressed with a lot of that stuff, but they were also saying, you know, we want to try to figure something out where, you know, maybe we can be, you know, a sponsor of yours and you can just go off and do your own thing. And so there was a lot of negotiation uh, with them and another sponsor and such. And I decided it was time. It was, mm. it's time to go and do it. And uh, July 24th um, was, was my last day, which is crazy because July 23rd was my, my first day mm. with the company. And that day I did a live broadcast and it, it was, that was basically my last day, but on paper it was the 24th, but it was just fitting that I started on that day and I ended on that day as well. And since then it's been crazy busy, crazy, but crazy busy is good. <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations on that. And I know it's, it's, uh, it's always, I remember when I left my full-time job to, to do what I'm doing now and it's, it's a scary step, Yes, uh, but it's also exciting. It's also and and like you know the world is your oyster and you can do whatever you want to do and uh and then it all kind of comes back on you right and, yeah uh, <laughs> that's the good part and the bad part yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah double s so, yep yeah well it's been so much fun talking to you and i know we could talk for probably another hour or two but uh, we'll have to wrap it up here uh, what's, what's uh 
So what, what's the last word? I'll give you the last word. Uh, what, what should people be thinking about when it comes to 911 dispatch? Just remember that when you're making that 911 call, you're talking to another human and that they are there for you with everything that you need. And, you know, they are the most vital piece of public safety. I am proud of each and every one of them and, and, and happy that I've been able to play even the small part in everything that is going on with 911 dispatchers, call takers and public safety. Um, it's been an amazing experience and they rock. They're awesome. Awesome. You've been watching First Responder Friday. We've been talking with Ricardo, who's doing amazing work, and he's the head of Within the Trenches Media. And Ricardo, thank you for coming on the show today. Stick around thank uh, you. after we sign off here, and we'll, we'll wrap up offline. Mm -hmm. I, like I said, you've been watching First Responder Friday. My name is Conrad Weaver. A little heads up to what's coming up next week. We have a very special guest coming. Matthew Damjancic is mm -hmm. going to be here. He has an amazing story. He... Uh, he served in the Metro DC area in law enforcement and was a SWAT uh, officer and a trainer and instructor. And today he's a wellness coordinator and he helps people get better who are in law enforcement. And he's going to be with us next week on First Responder Friday. So be sure to tune in and join us there. So again, my name is Conrad Weaver. You've been watching First Responder Friday. Thanks for joining us. And please share, like, and all that fun stuff on all the social sites. We'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a great day.